My name is James Metzger. I'm the lead pastor at Renaissance Bible Church, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning into our podcast. At Ren, we really believe that God's Word is living and active, that God still uses it to form and shape and change lives uh, for all of eternity. And so our prayer uh, for you is that God might use uh, these words to point you and others to Jesus. May God bless you in your journey. Uh, The words that a father speaks to his son or daughter have the uh, potential to, to build up, Uh, to encourage, to breathe life into. Uh, They also have the potential uh, to tear down, uh, to disappoint, or to destroy. I remember when I was heading off to college before I left my sophomore year, uh, my dad stopped me as I was walking out the door, and he grabbed my shoulders, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, James, I just want you to know that I am proud of you. I don't know what it was, but for whatever reason, in that moment, at that time, those were words of life uh, for me. Uh, To hear my dad speak those words of life uh, filled my heart with uh, joy as I headed off uh, to college. But just like words have the potential to build up, to encourage, to breathe life into uh, our words, especially the words of a father, also have the potential uh, to tear down or uh, to disappoint. Uh, I don't want to give you any personal illustrations uh, because I would look like a terrible father, but I remember the first time my uh, children, uh, at least that I knew, had a memory. Like they could remember things that we did as a family. They could remember places uh, where we went. And I remember uh, at various times them saying, hey, I remember when we were here last time. Uh, I remember when we had an opportunity to do this as a family. And I remember that feeling that I experienced in that moment where I thought, oh no, they're actually going to remember things that I say. Right? This is not good. Like up until a certain point, I'm like, I can get away with being a horrible father and uh, it'll be okay. But when I realized that they actually were going to remember things that I said and did, I thought to myself, this could get uh, ugly. Right? The, the words that a father speaks, the words that we say have the potential to form and shape our children, but I suggest to you this morning that it's not just uh, the words that we say, uh, but the words that we pray uh, that form and shape our children. And it's not just the words that we say as dads, it's the prayers that we pray uh, that have the potential to form and shape our children. Uh, This morning, because I truly believe that is true, I want to share uh, with our dads three prayers that we can pray uh, for our children, regardless of how young or how old they are. Uh, And the the three prayers that I want to encourage us to pray as a church for uh, our children Uh, are found in Mark chapter 9. And so if you have your Bibles, please uh, turn with me there. You may notice when we read through the passage together that there is not a prayer in the passage. Uh, But hopefully when we walk through this passage together, I want to point out to you three things that I believe that are true, that we can speak into the lives uh, of our kids. Mark uh, chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, reads... 
And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Jesus right here is telling his disciples that you are going to have an experience where I'm going to display who I am that's clearly going to be seen by you. What Jesus is referring to right here is the transfiguration that happened six days after he spoke these words. It says in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter uh, said, Uh, to Jesus. A rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses uh, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Verse 7 reads, and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, uh, but Jesus only. And so you know if you've walked with us through the Gospel of Mark or if you've spent any significant time in the Gospel of Mark that uh, the Gospel of Mark asks the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we've seen up until this point uh, Jesus showing to his disciples and showing to the crowds at least in part who he was. Jesus performed miracles displaying his deity Uh, Jesus taught to his disciples uh, and the crowds, revealing uh, to them who he was. But but the disciples, and oftentimes the crowds, missed it. They missed it. They didn't see it, even though they heard the words of Jesus, even though they experienced uh, the miracles of Jesus, they they didn't see Jesus uh, for who he was. And so here, Jesus takes three of his disciples with him to the mountaintop, and he is going to uh, display his glory. He is going to reveal himself uh, to Peter, James, and John in a way that is unique, in a way that they have not experienced him before. Jesus is going to uh, remove all doubt about who he is and what he has come to do. Uh, Psalm 104 verse 1 says, My soul Praise Yahweh, Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with majesty and splendor. Right, so Jesus comes and he walks the face of the earth and he performs miracles and he teaches the disciples. But here, in a very unique and a special and a unique and a different way, he reveals to the disciples uh, who he really is. He shows his glory to them. And it's no accident Uh, that the two men that appear with Jesus on the mountain are Moses and Elijah. Uh, Moses and Elijah represented the the Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophets. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and the Old Testament uh, prophets. Uh, We notice in this story similarities between Jesus in the New Testament and Moses in the Old Testament. Uh, When God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, uh, Moses' skin uh, shined when he descended from the mountain. Here, uh, Jesus is lit up. He's transfigured uh, before the disciples. 
Uh, we read in Exodus chapter 23 that God appeared in a, in a veiled form uh, in an overshadowing cloud. And here we see that same thing as, as God the Father speaks to his Son. Uh, the voice coming from the cloud to uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 24 is the same voice that is heard here in Mark chapter 9 verse 4. Uh, people were afraid of Moses when he descended the mountain because he had been with God. And here we read the disciples were afraid. They were astonished at what they saw when Jesus revealed himself to them. Uh, the same story that's told in the Gospel of Luke, uh, the 30th verse uh, says, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Uh, the word in verse 31 that talks about the departure of Jesus is the same word that is uh, translated for exodus. Right? And so Jesus comes onto the scene, and he comes onto the scene as the greater Moses. Moses uh, delivered God's people from slavery. Uh, Jesus is going to deliver them from uh, the power and the penalty of sin. Uh, verse 5 in Mark chapter 9 says, And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, I have no idea what it would be like uh, to have that experience. But I, I, have, I have experienced nothing in my life that I could compare uh, to this moment. So I don't know what I would say or I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I would react. But I always love the reaction of Peter, right? Because Peter is always the first one to talk. He's always the first one to speak up. And so I imagine Jesus revealing himself to his disciples and Peter going, oh, this is good. <laughs> this is good. Like, I got an idea. Let's make some tents and we can camp out and we can stay a while. It was so Peter-like uh, to be the first one to chime in and to speak up. But I love verse 6 that says, for he did not know what to say. For they were terrified. So Peter didn't even really know what to say, but instead of saying nothing, he's like, let's camp out for a while. Let's make some tents. This is a good idea. Right? Do you know any Peters in your life? Do you know anyone who is quick to speak when they probably should remain silent? Right? We know people like that. They might be sitting next to you this morning. Right? Peter was one of those guys. He doesn't know exactly what to say, so he says something, even though he probably should have said uh, nothing at all. There's another voice, though, that we hear in this moment. And it is the voice of a father uh, to his son. It is the voice of God the Father when he speaks to Jesus and says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is my boy. And listen to him. When he said listen to him, there was an implication there that we are not just to listen to him, but we're to obey him. Right? Fo follow him. Right? Listen to his words and apply his words to uh, your life. We hear this same voice in Mark uh, chapter 1 after the baptism of uh, Jesus. We hear it again here in Mark uh, chapter 9. Like God the Father is uh, seeing God the Son, Jesus, and he's saying, this is my Son, this is my beloved Son. Listen to his voice. Uh, shortly thereafter, we're told in verse 9 of Mark chapter 9, and they were coming down the mountain, and he charged them 
uh, to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning uh, what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do scribes say that first Elijah must, must come? And he said to them, Elijah does not come first to restore all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be uh, treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, uh, as it is written of him. So, so the disciples have this experience with Jesus. The disciples, in true disciple fashion, still have questions of Jesus. They question, what does this mean that you're going uh, to die, that you're going to be uh, crucified? They, they don't quite understand the role of Elijah in all this. Like, I thought Elijah was going to come first, even though when we read this account uh, from uh, the, the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verse 13, it says the disciples understood uh, that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus, in essence, is telling his disciples, listen, I am, I, I am not just coming as a conquering king. I'm coming as a suffering servant. And, and the people that spent their lives declaring that I was coming, the people that prepared the way uh, for me, they rejected them. Right? You remember what happens to John the Baptist? It does not end well for John the Baptist. Right? Head on a platter. Right? And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, the, the people that spoke my name before I came, you, you know how they dealt with them. Right? So Jesus is telling his disciples, he's reminding his disciples that he has come as a, a suffering servant. So just think about the story for a moment. Jesus reveals himself as, as a conquering king. Jesus displays his glory uh, for the disciples to see and experience. Right? It blew their minds. Right? They have this experience with the true and living God that they don't have a category for. Uh, it left them speechless, except for Peter. It should have left him speechless too, but they have this experience. It leaves them speechless, and then they're coming down the mountain, and Jesus is teaching them that I'm not just coming uh, as a conquering king. I'm coming as a suffering servant. Right? So that's the that's a story. It's a story of the transfiguration, this, this time when Jesus revealed his glory to his disciples. So I, I said 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, uh, that I wanted to, to share with you not just words to say uh, to your kids, but, but words to pray. And so maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, what in the world? Like, where do you see that from the text? Where do you see it from the text? Well, I want to point out uh, three things three observations that we see in Mark chapter 9 that I think as parents uh, should drive us uh, as we pray uh, for our kids, right? These are things that, uh, that I uh, want to pray and have prayed uh, for my children, right? Because I want this experience to be true in their hearts and in their lives. And I think as the people of God, uh, this can be true uh, for all of us. So the first thing that we notice, or the first thing that I want uh, to point out, is that because Jesus is glorious, I pray uh, that you will look to him and that you will see him. Because Jesus is glorious, I pray that you will look to him and that you uh, will see him. The predominant message that oftentimes uh, parents are encouraged to teach uh, their children is uh, to look within Right, to, to look inside of you. Right? This is what Mariah Carey sings. There's a hero if you look inside your heart. 
Right? You can just hear her voice singing that song. Uh, Renaissance, parents, please encourage your children. Do not uh, look within uh, to find the hero. There is one hero. His name's Jesus. Right? So, so point, parents, point your kids uh, to Jesus. Right? Pray uh, to the God above that they would see his glory because he has revealed his glory to us. It's all around us. Maybe you read Mark chapter 9 and you're like, I don't have that experience. Maybe you don't have that experience, but he's displayed his glory all over the place. Scripture says that his creation, his creation displays his glory. So mom, dad, take your son, take your daughter to the mountains, right? Go to the mountain peak and have your little boy or your little girl look out at the vastness of God's creation and say to them, is not God glorious, right? He made this. He created this. There's a God above. Take your son or daughter to the ocean. Take him to the beach, preferably not in July. It's hot then. Take them sometime during off season. Have them take off their socks and shoes and stick their toes in the sand. Let them feel the water brush up against their ankles. Have them look out into the vastness of the ocean and say, there is a God above who created this. Is he not glorious? Right? We see God's glory in creation. And so my prayer for my kids, my prayer for your kids is, Lord, help them to see your glory. Not only do we see God's glory in creation, we see it in created beings. Do you know that, that you, that humanity, are the pinnacle of God's creation? Right? This isn't like self-help, like you're good enough, you're smart enough, doggone it, uh, people like you. But, but listen, like you're pretty special. Right? You, you are pretty special. The God of the universe dreamed you up. Right? So teach your kids that when they walk by someone, regardless of, of what they look like or what their education is or how much money they make or what car they drive, point that person out and say, look what God did. But isn't God good? Isn't God glorious? God has revealed his glory in creation. He's revealed his glory in humanity. And he has uh, displayed his glory uh, in his Son no more clearly uh, than in Jesus. When we look to Jesus, we see uh, the glory of God. So pray that your children would look to Jesus in their brokenness and in their sin. Look to Jesus. That is the only place where forgiveness is found. Uh, in their disappointment and in their despair when life isn't working quite the way they want it to, encourage them, look to Jesus. He's going to meet you there. He's not going to depart from you. He's not going to leave you. He's going to walk with you in your wants and in your desires. Son, daughter, uh, look to Jesus. He's the only one that can fulfill you. So look to him in your joy, in your success. Look to Jesus and go, man, isn't Jesus good? Isn't he good, man? He's, he's allowed you to have that experience. He's given to you that good gift. Isn't uh, Jesus amazing? This is my prayer for uh, my sons and for my daughter, for Cademan and Noah and Amelia, that they would look uh, to Jesus, more so than them leaving the house thinking a dad was the most awesome dad ever to walk the planet. That's insignificant. Right? It's insignificant if they don't see Jesus. Right? And so I pray that they would see Jesus like the disciples saw the glory of God and the person and the work of Jesus. Uh, I want them to see 
uh, Jesus. The second observation that we see here uh, in Mark chapter 9 is that because Jesus is God's beloved Son, uh, I pray that my children and that your children and us as the children of God will listen to him. I pray that God would give us ears uh, to hear, right? Because he knows us and he loves us. He knows how this life works a whole lot better than we do. So when God the Father says, this is my beloved son, you listen to him. Right? He, he's not simply saying, I want you to hear his teaching and be amazed at how he uses an illustration or, or the truth that he speaks or, or listen to how he ends his messages, how he has a practical application and three points that all start with P. He's not talking about listening to Jesus like that. He's saying you listen to him and you do what he says. Bring yourself under submission to the word of, of God. Like, follow what it says. This is life. This is where life is found. I remember when I had uh, my surgery on my ACL, and, and the second day after surgery, uh, I went to my physical therapist. Eric Ford did a great job. If you need physical therapy, you go see Eric Ford. I'll give you his number after the service. I told Eric on that Wednesday morning, I said, listen, Eric, I said, I'm going to tell you two things. The first thing is I'm a pansy. And I said, as long as I'm with you, I'm going to whine. And you cannot change me. But secondly, um, I'm going to do everything that you ask me to do. I'm going to do everything that you ask me to do. You know this better than I know this. You know what I can do and what I can't do. So I'm, I'm trusting you. Right? Someone that I know and trust said, you're the guy to talk to. So whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. Right? I'll be honest with you. There was a time in my life when I thought, you know what I have to do? I have to be the smartest guy in the room. I have to know everything about everything. And I learned real quickly that I am not the smartest guy in the room. And I know a few things about a few things. But one of the things that I've been challenged by is to find people who are a lot smarter than me, people that I know and that I trust and that I love, and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you tell me to do. Right? In, this, in this area of life with finances, you know more about it than I do, so I'm going to trust you. I've watched your life. I see, I see how you interact with, with your kids. You're a good mom. You're a good dad. I, I just see it from a, a, There's some things there that I want to learn, and so I'm going to follow your example. And I want to surround myself with people in the church who know the church and love the church and go, man, I've, I've seen you pastor from a distance. What, like, what do you do? How, how do you do it? It's like the scene from The Pursuit of Happiness. Remember when Will Smith is, is walking down the sidewalk and he sees the guy pull up and... Uh, I, think, I don't know if it was a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or something like that, and he walks up to him and he's like, I got two questions for you. Like, what do you do and how do you do it? Right? He's like, I wanna, like that's where I want to go, and so I'm just going to submit. Well, in, in, in the same way, when we come to the Word of God, we're going, God, you are the God of the universe. G give me ears to hear. I want to listen and then I want to do it because you know me better than uh, I know myself. Right, so I'm, I'm going to listen to you. The world says, trust your heart. Just trust your heart. Don't trust your heart. Don't tell your kids to trust their hearts. You don't trust your heart. Have people in your life that speak truth into your life. Come to the, the true and living word of God and go, I'm going to submit. I'm going to submit because I'm not God. And so you tell me, don't do something. I'm going to say, man, God, give me the strength and your grace not to do it. And when you tell me to do something, God, give me the strength to do it because I don't trust myself. So I want to listen. 
I want to obey. I want to listen to the words of God. Parents, because Jesus is God's beloved son, I pray uh, that we would listen. Listen, God has spoken uh, to us. He's spoken to us through uh, his son. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, a long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. If that's true, I want to listen to him. I want my kids to listen to him as well. God the Father has revealed uh, himself in his Son. May he give us ears uh, to hear. Third observation, because uh, Jesus is our suffering servant, I pray that my children and that our children will trust him uh, even when the world rejects him uh, and rejects us. Right? It, is, it is so uh, easy in life uh, to follow the masses. Right? And this is, this is true if you're 12 and you're in middle school. It's true when you're 42 and you're at the office. It's true when you're 62 and you're nearing retirement. Right? It, it is so easy uh, to listen to the voices around us. Right? Because everyone has a voice. Everyone has a platform. Everyone can post on Facebook, uh, can tweet, on Twitter, everyone can say something. And so we're hearing all these voices, all of these voices saying, this is where joy is, uh, this is where happiness is, uh, this is where contentment is. Right? And oftentimes those voices are not godly voices. Oftentimes those voices uh, lead us astray. Scripture is clear. Jesus is clear that, listen, the people that follow me, um, it did not end well for them. They didn't follow me because it was easy. They didn't follow me because it was popular. They didn't follow me because it was the thing to do. Right? And so I, I want my children to know, man, I, I pray over your life that you would know Jesus as the suffering servant. That means his life wasn't easy, and more than likely, your life will not be easy either. Right? So, so don't think if your life is difficult or if it's challenging or if it's hard that you're doing the wrong thing. It may mean that you're actually doing the right thing. Jesus is our suffering servant. And I pray that my children and our children would trust him uh, even when the world uh, rejects him and rejects us. I pray that they would be sons and daughters that swim upstream. I pray that they would not uh, be children that drift. I pray that even when it is difficult and it is not popular, uh, that they would do uh, what God has commanded them uh, to do. The reason that, um, that I couch these three uh, prayers uh, the way that I do, the reason that I say that they are prayers uh, for me is because um, I wholeheartedly believe that unless the Spirit of, of the living God does this, uh, it does not happen. Deuteronomy chapter 29, 
Uh, God is, is giving a covenant to his people. He's defining the relationship between God in heaven and uh, his sons and his daughters, his people. And it, and it says this in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 29, in the beginning of chapter 29. I think it's verses 2 and 3. Listen to this. It says, But you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials that our eyes saw, the signs in those great wonders. I stop there for a second. So, so God's going, remember how I worked. Like you, you saw the miracles, right? The whole Red Sea thing. Like you saw that. You, ex- you experienced that. You've, you've seen, you've heard about the plagues. You, you know how I delivered your people from slavery. Like th- those were your experiences. Some of you uh, were, were eyewitnesses to those things. This is what it says, though, in Deuteronomy chapter 29. You, you've seen all of these things with your eyes, but it says, but to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. And the gospels say there were times when the crowd saw, but they did not see, uh, that they heard, but they did not listen. Right, so it's entirely possible to, uh, to live in, in this world where we see God move and we hear of God moving, but we don't truly believe. We don't have affections that are bent toward Jesus. We don't have a love and a passion for Him. And it's not primarily because as parents we didn't quite couch it the right way. It's because, man, God's got to change their hearts. He's got to change their hearts. He's got to change my heart. I don't, I don't naturally do this. I don't, natu- I don't naturally see. I don't naturally see. I don't, I don't naturally listen. I listen to me. I listen to me. I want to do what I want to do naturally in my own strength, in my flesh. I don't naturally want to swim upstream. I don't naturally want to go against the crowd. I want to be liked. I want to be appreciated. I want to fit in. Right? And so this does not happen unless God moves and makes it happen. So listen, mom, dad, the words that you say, the words that you speak uh, into your son or daughter are powerful words. They will be used by God to form and shape them. But listen to me, it's not just the words that you say, it's the prayers uh, that you pray. Man, so pray audacious prayers for your kids. Uh, Pray that the God in heaven would change their hearts and change their affections. Pray that sons and daughters that don't naturally see would see. Uh, Pray that sons and daughters that don't naturally listen would listen. Uh, Pray that sons and daughters that don't naturally go against the grain would go against the grain uh, for the cause of Christ. Renaissance, my prayer for you and my prayer for me as a dad uh, is that this that this uh, would be true. Let's pray to God that it might be. Would you pray with me? Father God, uh, Lord, I pray that, that these words would be true, uh, not just of our children, but of us. I pray that you would uh, give us eyes to see. Help us to behold your glory. It's all around us. Give us eyes to see. Uh, God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you might give us ears to listen and to obey, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. And God, I pray that regardless of of how challenging or difficult 
the world around us may become, how in opposition the voices may be in our own hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength uh, and the courage to swim upstream, to go against uh, the grain, to follow you uh, even when few others would. Lord, if there are folks here this morning that don't have a relationship with you, I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you might quicken their hearts, that you might open uh, up their spiritual eyes and help them uh, to see Jesus. God, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit.